Well, if you've ever gone to the doctor where they have you sit down and he pulls out this little instrument uh, that he's about to hit you in the knee with, you know what's going to happen, right? If he hits you in the knee, tell me what happens. He hits you in the knee. Well, what should happen? I guess I should say you hit the knee and what happens? You kick, right? He's checking your reflexes. So he'll check on both knees, kick, kick, and then he'll check the other knee. And as long as you're kicking, you've got reflexes and things are, are good. He's looking to make sure you have the proper reflex. Now, there's a lot of reflexes that we have outside of getting hit in the kneecap by our, our doctor. You think through driving down 400, somebody cuts you off on the road, you have a reflex, that's very similar to kicking your doctor when they hit you in the knee. You have this reflex to retaliate, to, to cut them back off again, or to drive super close so they know that they cut you off, or to share a common gesture with them. There's all kinds of different reflexes that we have throughout life. Your kids begin to frustrate you, and you have an immediate reflex to say something or to lose your cool. Your spouse says something that, that hurts you, and so you have this immediate reflex. Somebody at work does something that just annoys you and you have an immediate reflex. Life is full of these natural reflexes where we get hit, we get tapped, we get told something, something happens to us or around us, and we have a knee-jerk, thus the reflex, a knee-jerk reaction. It happens in our spiritual lives as well, where God will say something, God will do something in our lives, God would call us to something, and we have a knee-jerk reaction. And most of the time, not all the time, I'm being general here, most of the time, our knee-jerk reaction, our reflex is to go against what God was saying. I'll give you an example. God tells us to be patient. So when you are in a situation that requires patience and God whispers to your heart through the Holy Spirit, be patient. You say, no, I don't want to be patient. I want to do the exact opposite of being patient. When God whispers to your heart, be kind. No, of course I don't want to be kind. They need to get what they deserve. Can you tell I'm going through the fruit of the Spirit here? Self-control, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now, that's just a few of the ways that God calls us to live, speak, think, and act. Just a few. And the knee-jerk reaction is to go against what God calls us to do. In other words to run away from God. When God calls us, most of the time, our reflex, our knee-jerk reaction is to run the opposite direction, is to run away from God. It's the very story of Jonah. In fact, starting today, over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the story of Jonah. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. If not, let me give you two suggestions. One, pick up a free Bible on me out in the cafe guest services area. As soon as church is over, go over, grab one. They're free. Grab, grab one. That way you can have it in your hands. You can see the context. You can underline, circle, highlight things. Like That's an important part of getting into God's Word. If you like the electronic version, that's great. Grab your phone and right now download the version Bible app. It is okay. I'll tell you what I would love when we, lo when we in just a minute and start reading through Jonah, I would love all the heads to do this. Do you know why I would love that? Because it means you're looking at God's word instead of what's on the screen. Which, by the way, if I happen to take the words off the screen one day, you'll know why. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Get your Bible, download it, grab one from home, grab one from us so you have it with you. But that's the story of Jonah. And you're going to see that as we read through Jonah starting today over the next, like I said, four weeks. The story of Jonah is pretty simple. God calls, 
Jonah runs, God chases. It's not just the story of Jonah, it's the story of our lives, isn't it? God calls us, he, he instructs, us, instructs us, he leads us, and we have a reflex, we have a knee-jerk reaction to run the opposite direction. Yet God always chases after us. I'll tell you, in, in preparing for this series through Jonah and in praying for you specifically, I have two prayers for you. And I hope these would become your own personal prayers as well as we study the book of Jonah. The first one is that you would stop running from God. We all run from God. We're going to talk about that. We're all like Jonah, maybe more than we would like to admit. We all have that reflex, that reaction to run away from God. So prayerfully to stop running from God in the areas that you are running from God in. Secondly, to have a heart for the people that don't know Jesus, to have a heart for those that don't know Christ yet. Let's pray. We'll study Jonah. Jesus, thank you so much for all that you have done and all that you do. We, as we read earlier out of Psalm chapter 9, that we desire to worship you with all of our hearts. And what we are about to do is also an act of worship. As we open your word, as we read, as we study, as we gain insights from your word, may this worship of reading your word be be pleasant to you. I pray that you would break our heart for what your heart breaks for. I pray that you would help us see the parts of our lives, the areas of our lives where we are running away from you. And above all, Holy Spirit, would you speak to each and every one of us individually as we listen to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So get your Bibles either on your device or your physical Bible. Jonah chapter one, we're going to be in chapter one today and we're going to chop it up because there's a lot of aspects to this story that I don't want us to just blow through and it's a little bit long. So we're going to read a portion. We're going to talk about it, keep reading, talk about it. And hopefully by the end of this, you will see just what we said a second ago. The theme of Jonah, of God calls, we run, Jonah runs, but God also chases us. So let's see how it begins. Jonah chapter one, starting in verse one. The Lord gave this message to Jonah. Here's the message. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. This is exciting news for Jonah. At least from our perspective, it seems exciting. God is inviting Jonah to be part of something incredible. God says, Jonah, get up. I've got a plan. I've got an idea. I've got an adventure that I want you to come on with me. I want you to go to the people of Nineveh because they don't know me. In fact, they are wicked beyond belief, but I want them to know me. And Jonah, I'm choosing you. Jonah, I'm picking you. You are going to be the one to tell them about my love and my grace and my mercy and my compassion. It sounds exciting, doesn't it? Maybe a little crazy, but it sounds exciting. Now to Jonah's ears, it does not sound very exciting at all, in fact. It sounds horrible because you gotta understand a little bit of the context of Jonah as well as the city of Nineveh. Jonah is a prophet. He's kind of a different prophet in two regards. One, most prophets, if you study the Old Testament, most prophets would be sent by God to the people of God, to the people of Israel or the Jews or the Hebrews. Jonah was a prophet that was being sent to pagans, to uh, an outside nation. So that makes him a little different in, in one aspect. The other aspect is Jonah actually disobeys God, if you know the story. Most prophets were, of course, God, whatever you want. I am your messenger. I will do whatever you say. Jonah's like, mm, no. We're going to see that here in a second. But understand why he was going to say no. So here, Jonah is a Hebrew. He's a Jew. He's part of God's chosen people. And Nineveh is the exact opposite of that. 
Nineveh was known for being a cruel, cruel people. Know that Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was the dominant empire of that time. And they were known, yes, for their wealth and their power and how they've conquered so much, but they were most known for their cruelty. In fact, modern-day historians call the Assyrians and the Assyrian Empire, quote, the appalling lords of torture. That's their legacy. That's the legacy of the Assyrian Empire. And the center of the empire, the capital of the empire, was Nineveh. In fact, in 2018, the British Museum in London, they had a special exhibit dedicated to the Assyrian Empire. And an article was written describing this exhibit and all the art pieces and all the stone reliefs that had been collected from this period of the Assyrian Empire. And I want to read you just an excerpt of this article, and you'll understand why I'm not going to show you pictures of the exhibit as you're about to hear what the exhibit entailed. Quote from the article regarding the ancient Assyrian Empire, specifically the city of Nineveh. You have to hand it to the ancient Assyrians. They were honest. Their artistic propaganda relishes every detail of torture, massacre, battlefield executions, and human displacement that made the Assyria Empire the dominant power of the Middle East from about 900 to 612 B.C., Assyrian art contains some of the most appalling images ever created. In one scene, tongues are being ripped from the mouths of prisoners that will mute their screams when in the next stage of torture, they are filleted alive. In another relief, a surrendering, a surrendering general is about to be beheaded. And in a third, prisoners have to grind their father's bones before being executed in the streets of Nineveh. That's hard to read. And that's who God sent Jonah to tell about God's love and God's grace and mercy. Now, to make this even worse, like that's hard enough for us to read, much less Jonah, who would have experienced versions of that firsthand, being a Jew, being a Hebrew, recognizing what his ancestors had gone through because of the Syrian empire. So for God to come to Jonah and say, Jonah, I have a great idea. I want you to go and preach my love, my grace, my mercy to the people of Nineveh. Jonah's like, are you, God, do you realize what you're asking me to do and who you're asking me to go? Do you know the history here, God? Why in the world would I ever want to do that? Why would Jonah want to go to his enemies and preach the good news? Why would he ever want them to be saved after all that they have done against humanity and specifically to Jonah and his ancestors? So that's the scene. Sounds exciting to be called by God. Oh, but not those people, God. So what did, you, what did God ask him? He said, get up and go and tell Nineveh about me. So here's what Jonah does. Verse 3. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, you got to kind of laugh at this part just for a second, because if you read this all together, it started out, so God said to Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh. And then the very next verse is, so Jonah got up and went the opposite direction. <laughs> like, God says, hey, hey, get up, let's go. And 
Jonah says, okay, I'm getting up and I'm going the other direction, literally the opposite direction. God called him to Nineveh and he went to Joppa. There's a port there so that he could sail to Tarshish. Let me show you a map so you know exactly that it is the opposite direction. So there's Joppa. That's where he went. 550 miles to Nineveh. He says, nope, I need to get a ticket to get as far away from God in Nineveh as possible. So 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. That's where he was headed, sailing to get away from God and away from Nineveh. Now, let's put this in like our context. Here we are at a church in Dawsonville. So it would be as if God called us from Dawsonville, go to Virginia Beach. I don't think Virginia Beach area is as wicked as Nineveh necessarily was, but it would be like going to Virginia Beach, which is right at about 550 miles from here. And instead, we got on a train, got on a car, got on a plane and said, I'm going to go to Seattle, Washington instead which is just over 2,500 miles away from here in Dawsonville, Georgia. Now, I show you this one because here's what I need us to understand. It was not a mistake by Jonah. It wasn't like, oh, Nineveh? Like, oh, I just got off on the wrong exit. My bad. <laughs> I just got my directions crossed. No, this was a very intentional decision by Jonah. You wanted me to go over here? I'm going to go over here three times as far as I, even more than as far as I can possibly go. I'm going in the opposite direction. God calls, Jonah runs, intentionally runs. But we are so much like Jonah. I am a Jonah, you are Jonah, where we naturally, and with a reflex, a knee-jerk reaction, we run from God. Everybody does this. Everybody runs from God. God says one thing, and we want to do the exact opposite. God calls us to do one thing, and we go and do the exact opposite. We all run from God. Here's a big question, though. Jonah ran from God by getting on a boat and sailing to Tarshish. How do you run from God? We all run from God, but we all run a little bit differently, don't we? So this is good for you to know and be aware of. When God asks me to do something, when I read God's word and it tells me to live in a certain way, when God calls me to do a certain thing, do you know, are you aware of that knee-jerk reaction that causes you to go the opposite direction? When you run from God, another way to ask the question is when you run from God, what do you run to instead? Right? I, can, I can name kind of the, the common ones that are pretty generally speaking. Maybe you run just to relationships. When God says one thing, it's like, no, no, I have a codependent relationship that I run to. Maybe it's alcohol or substances. When God says one thing, I'm going to do the exact opposite. I'm going to drown my sorrows away, and I'm going to drown my life away in something other than him. Maybe it's work. God says, I need you to spend time, effort, energy over here. He said, no, no, i got to focus on my career. I'm going to do that instead. Maybe it's isolation. I want you to be around people. I want you to have community. And no, 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 I, I withdraw and I isolate myself from everybody else. I want you to read. I want you to see. I want you to hear from me. And you say, no, 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 I got a Netflix show I have to binge on. Do you know what you run to when it's not God? Be aware of it. Be okay calling it out. Because just like Jonah, it's not difficult to find a way to get away from God. It's not hard. It was very easy for Jonah to go down to Joppa, find a boat that was sailing in the opposite direction, buy a ticket, and off he went. It was not difficult. It's still not difficult. If you want to run from God, you will find plenty of opportunities to do so, plenty of ways, plenty of people that will even help you go in that opposite direction. 
So are you aware of it? Do you recognize when God says go, do you know what you end up running to as a reflex? Because we're all like Jonah. When God calls, we tend to run. So that's what Jonah did. He truly ran in the opposite direction. That's what we tend to do. We oftentimes run in the opposite direction. But what does God do? God calls, Jonah runs, but what does God do next? Let's see, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate soldiers shouted to their gods for help and threw the, the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all of this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold, in the bottom part of the ship. So not only did Jonah run, he gets as far away from others as he can. He gets at the very, very bottom of the ship. And there's this massive storm that threatens to break the ship apart. It's that big of a storm. So when Jonah runs, what does God do? That's the question we're answering. He sends a storm? That doesn't sound right. Let me frame it up a little bit different for you. This is not an angry God chasing after Jonah. This is not a God saying, oh, you run from me? Oh, watch what happens when you run from me. I'm going to throw the wind at you. I'm going to throw the storms at you. Now let's see who has the last laugh. No, that's not an angry God chasing after Jonah. No, this is a loving father chasing after Jonah. It's a loving father. Here's what I mean by that. This might put this in context for you, or at least maybe help you think of it differently. If I were to see my kid in the middle of the street, and I see a car coming at them, instinctively, without hesitation, I will run into the street, push my kid out of the way to make sure they don't get hit by that car. Parents, do I get a nod? You do that, right? Without hesitation. Parents that aren't nodding, let's talk later. <laughs> You're going to push your kid out of the way. Now, if somebody without seeing the car sees this parent run out in the street and shove their kid onto the asphalt, that's a slightly different perspective, isn't it? All of a sudden, I'm going to be on the news, pastor pushes kid in the middle of the street. And I have no doubt that when I my shove my kid in the street, guess what? He's going to get bruised. He's going to get some bumps. He's probably going to get scraped. He might even be bleeding because of my choice to push him. But which one's better? To push him, which causes some scrapes and bruises, or to not do anything and just hope the car misses? No, of course. I would rather have scrapes and scratches all day long if it means he didn't get hit by a car. It's obvious. It's common sense. It's the exact same thing that God's doing here. God is sending a storm into Jonah's life because him running away from God has a much, much worse result. A little bit of pain in the middle of the storm is a lot better than destruction from running away from God. A little bit of pain now is better than the destruction that happens when we run away from God. See, a loving father doesn't just say, you know what, Jonah, whatever you want to do, go ahead. I'll leave you to it. If that's what you want to do, fine. No, a loving father says, no, no, that's not okay. I love you too much to let you go your own way. I love you too much to let you run away from me. I love you too much to let you go. So I'm going to chase you and I'm going to do whatever I can to get your attention and to bring you back to me. That's what a loving father does. God chases after Jonah, even if it means sending a storm. 
Now, please don't mishear me. Am I saying that every difficult and painful thing you've experienced in life is a storm that God has sent you? No, I'm not saying that at all. But am I saying that sometimes when we choose to run away from God, will he send pain and storms into our life to get our attention? Yes. Sometimes he does because he loves you too much to let you run from him. He loves you too much to let you go and destroy yourselves and go in your own way, to go in the opposite direction. He loved Jonah too much to let him go his own way. And so he chased after him, chased after him, even if it meant bringing a storm into his life. So he's asleep at the bottom of the boat. This boat is about to break apart because of this violent storm. Here's what happens next, verse 6. So the captain went down after him, went down to Jonah and said this, how can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. This might be one of my favorite parts of this whole story today. This is fascinating to me. Again, notice the different conversations that have happened so far. God came to Jonah and said, get up and go to Nineveh. So then Jonah's response is he got up and went the opposite direction. Now the captain says, Jonah, get up and pray to your God. Oh, that's good. God says, get up and follow me. Oftentimes we get up and go the other direction. So God sent somebody else into Jonah's life to say, get up and look at your God. Get up and pray to your God. And what's great about this is this captain did not know God. We would call this a pagan, a pagan captain. Does not know who the Lord is, like you know, like Jonah would know him. But he still said the same thing. Jonah, get up. And you need to focus on your God again. Pray to your God. Here's what happens next, verse 7. So the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. They asked him, why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded, who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? They're like, surely there's a good explanation for this. Jonah's answer is pretty ironic and even funny. Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. That is all capitals if you're looking in your Bible, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. Wasn't just a God, it's the God, the one and only true God. He said, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, look at this, who made the sea and the land. Do you see the irony here? Here, Jonah was trying to get away from the Lord. We read that earlier. He got on a boat headed for Tarshish to get away from the Lord. It says, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. And here he admits, I am a Hebrew and I worship the one true God, the Lord, who made the sea. Did you catch that? He's running away from God on a boat in the sea, and he worships the God who made the sea. It's interesting because we do the exact same thing. We run away from the God that is the giver of life. Oh, because we want to find life in something else. Here, Jonah is trying to get away from God. He's doing it by being on the sea. And he recognizes, well, like my God kind of made the sea, so I shouldn't be shocked that I'm in the middle of a storm right now. <laughs> shouldn't be a surprise there. 
But isn't it interesting that when we choose to run from God, we're looking for God in all these other places, and he's like, I'm right here. I'm calling you to me. No, 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 I'm going to go find it somewhere else. No, God's like, I'm going to give it to you if you follow me. No, 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 I'm going to figure it out on my own. God, I need help, and I need this. It's like, well, great, follow me. Read what's in my word. No, 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 I'm going to figure it out over here with something else. He's like, I'm the one that made it all. I'm the giver of life. Stop trying to find life somewhere else. So here he is trying to escape God on a boat from the Lord who made the land and the sea. Verse 10, the sailors actually had a very good reaction here, a good response. It says the sailors were terrified as they should be. They're like, Jonah, you're an idiot. Did you just hear what you just said? The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? Good question. They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked, well, what should we do? What do we have to do to stop the storm? How do we end this? Verse 12, throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is my fault. Instead, like no sailor wants to be the one that throws this poor guy overboard. They don't want to have blood on their hands. So verse 13, instead the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. Don't forget that part. We're going to come back at the end of there to verse 13. Verse 14 goes on. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Remember, they were crying out to all their other gods and nothing happened. So now they cry out to Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reason. So insightful for people that just met the Lord. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. And the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Please don't skip over this. These sailors that had no idea of who God truly is came to know him in the middle of a storm. So often when we are in Jonah's spot of running away from God, which we all can relate to that, what tends to happen the further and further we get from God, something else starts to happen in our hearts. You know what it is? Guilt and shame. Well, I'm already this far away. God would never have me back. Oh, I've already done all of this. There's no way he could ever use me again. Oh, look at how all I've done to mess this up. I don't think God will have me back. Guilt and shame start getting added on the further and further away from God we run. And what I want you to see here is an entire group of sailors, including the captain, came to know God who then offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve God all because of Jonah running away. Tell me our God's not amazing. That Jonah can run away from God because he didn't want to save the Ninevites. And all along his journey of running away from God, other people came to know who God is. Don't underestimate the power of God's sovereignty. Don't miss the opportunity that God continues to put in your path for the good of others, no matter where you're running today, no matter how far you've run from God, your story can still point people to Jesus. In the middle of a storm, that's all Jonah's fault. A captain and his men came to know God, fear God, and chose to serve God because of Jonah. Don't miss that. 
don't miss the opportunities God will always put in your path, regardless of if you're even running from him. God turns things for his good again and again and again. And here's the part of the story most people know, verse 17. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. That's the story of Jonah. God calls, Jonah runs, and what happens next? God chases. That's the story of Jonah. That's the story of God in our lives. That we all run from God, but God chases after us all. Every single one of us. It doesn't matter how far you run. It doesn't matter what you run to. It doesn't matter how long you've been running. God is pursuing you. He's chasing after you. And it's not the chase of an angry God. It's the chase and pursuit of a loving father who has so much love for you. He cannot fathom not having you with him. He loves you too much to let you go your own way. He loves you too much to let you go to your own destruction. So he intervenes and constantly chases after you. Jonah does several things that I think are, us, are worth us looking at and calling out. Well, technically two things. The captain, I said we're going to come back to that one. He actually does one of these as well. So what do you do when you're running away from God and you recognize God's pursuit of you? Like I said, that shame and guilt can keep you in this cycle of running from God. But there's a few things that I think will be helpful. Let me go through them real fast. The first one is exactly what the captain said. It was, get up, Jonah. Yes, you're hiding from God. You're in the lowest part of the ship. You're trying to get as far away from God as you can. And the captain had some great advice. Get up and pray to God. Let me say it to you this way. Get up and look to God. If you're running from him and when you recognize, okay, when God says this, my knee-jerk reaction is go the other way. What do you do to stop the running? You get up and you look at God. You get up and you begin praying to God. Best advice that you have in this book is right there. Get up and start praying to God. The second part is what Jonah did. Remember the sailor said, what is happening? What is causing this? Jonah admits it. He says, this is all my fault. Uses those words. This is my fault. In the church world, we call this confession. So when you're running from God, you stop running. You get up and you look at God and you pray to God. And what do you talk to God about? This is on me. This is my fault. I shouldn't have run from you. There's a humility. Last week, Nathan talked brilliantly about humility. This is a great way to begin that journey of humility is recognizing I need God. This is my fault. The third thing that Jonah did he said, throw me in the water. Throw me in. We're going to use the word surrender here, not suicidal. <laughs> surrender, not suicidal. You could read this and some might say, well, he's just like saying, that's it. It can't get any worse. This is all, this is over. So just throw me in the water. That's not what's happening here. Do you remember who the Lord is? Remember even Jonah mentioned this. He admitted to it that I serve the Lord, the creator, the maker of the sea and land. So when Jonah said, throw me into the sea, do you know what he's saying? Throw me into the arms of God. Throw me into his presence once again. I've been trying to get away from him. So what do you need to do? What do I need to do, Jonah says? Throw me into my creator. I told you we'd come back to verse 13, because this is where a lot of us end up trying to be. When Jonah said those things, hey, it's all my fault, you just got to throw me back into God, throw me into the sea. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they could not make it. You know how I read that? 
Man, I see that in every single one of us. Where we just try harder and harder and harder. And God's like, just jump into my arms. No, 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 God, I need to make this right first. I need to get my life in order first. Like, I love that God doesn't say, Jonah, turn this boat around. We don't see that. It's throw me into the sea. Throw me into God's arms. Throw me back into his presence. And so often, we're trying to just row our way back to God and trying to do all the right things and make up for all the wrong decisions. And God's like, it's not gonna work. You're rowing in a horrific storm and you're not gonna make it on your own. He says, that's why you need me. That's the whole idea behind surrender. God's grace does not work with you working harder. Let me say that one more time. God's grace does not work with you working harder and rowing harder and trying to figure out your life on your own and, and trying to earn your way into his good grace. No, he says, jump in and you've got it. Surrender. So get up and pray to God. Admit it. Take the humble road. Admit it. This is my fault. I have been running from you. And jump wholeheartedly into the presence and grace and love and mercy and forgiveness of God. We're all like Jonah. We all run from God. But when we get up and look at him, when we admit it, when we surrender, we should also expect to get what Jonah got, a rescue. Now that rescue, some of you are like, that didn't feel like a rescue. He got swallowed by a big fish. Yeah, but he didn't drown. <laughs> it was still a rescue. I would say it's not a comfortable rescue. God didn't send him a piece of driftwood. Here, hold on to this. God didn't just levitate him up and transport him back to Nineveh. It was a very uncomfortable three days, I can assure you. I have no experience being in a fish for three days, but I'm sure it wasn't pleasant. <laughs> and sometimes we expect this rescue to just be sunshine and rainbows. But sometimes the rescue is uncomfortable where God gives you the opportunity to come back to him and he provides it. Oh, but taking those steps are hard. I said earlier, sometimes we run towards addiction. Man, taking a step into the doors of a Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday night or into an AA meeting, well, that's not comfortable. That's hard. But we do it because he's leading us back to him. That hard conversation with your spouse and with your kids, those aren't always easy and they're definitely not comfortable but it leads us back to him. So once you surrender, look for a rescue because I promise it's there. Because we're all like Jonah. God calls, we run, he chases. That's why Jesus came for us. That's why God sent his one and only son because we ran and he's been chasing after you ever since. In fact, Jesus says that. He's like, that's exactly why I came. I came for the lost. And he tells three different stories about his, Jesus' words, his purpose of coming after us. One of them is found in Luke chapter 15. It says, so Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Oh, that's such a good question. We've been asking it all morning. When one of us gets lost, when one of us runs away, what does he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? 
And when he has found it, he will joyfully, joyfully, he's not mad. Again, this is not an angry God, but a loving father. He will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. If you are running from God, stop. And allow the God of the heavens, the land and the sea and the entire universe to bring you back to him. If you'll close your eyes, I think we're gonna sing one last song, but in doing so, this can be a turnaround moment for each and every one of us. When I say a turnaround moment, it's just like Jonah, where we stop and we look back to God. We all run, we just all run differently. So however you've been running, in this moment, would you surrender your heart back to him again? Jesus, we come before you, a mess, broken, guilty, and full of shame that have been running from you. And in this moment, we stop. We stop running and we look to you, our heavenly Father who loves us so much, who recklessly loves us so much, that you constantly and relentlessly chase after us. Thank you for loving us so much that you don't let us run away. But may we use this moment to turn around and to be brought back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.